Hi, and welcome to another episode of Hippo Brain. Here is where we have hippo-sized conversations with people with hippo-sized brains. Rajesh and me take great pride in trying to figure out new and interesting hippo brains that give us insights into things that we would have no clue about. You would have also figured out that where all we try and search and we find out hidden talents, hidden brains, and hidden businesses to which I would pay to get an insight. And today I'm here with a such a beautiful hidden hippo brain with a hidden hippo size business. Rajesh, without allowing me to give more away, I let you introduce our guest for today. Thank you very much, Javed. Welcome to yet another hippo brain. Our guest today is Sudhir Gupta. Sudhir is founder and CEO of TLC, India's largest, in fact, uh, among the larger ones in the world in the space of loyalty management solutions for the hospitality industry. And uh, Sudhir has uh, been uh, running the company for the last 17 years. I think there's a lot to learn about his entrepreneurial style also, as well as digging deeper into loyalty solutions and of course, hospitality. Many of us have experienced great hospitality at of course, uh, hotel chains across the world and we dig deeper into that. Welcome to Hippobrain, Sudhir. Uh, Rajesh and Jamit, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here and happy to chat with you folks. Sudhir, after Oberoi, do, doing that McKinsey, kind of working with them, Stint, etc., and you wanted to start something of your own. Give us a little bit of genesis of how you thought through, how do you stumble upon, and wh- why would you choose to do what you want to do? I understand you want to do something of your own, but also... I have many times thought about it and I'm sure so many entrepreneurs think, what And <laughs> how did you choose that? So, you know, German, actually, I wish I could, I could tell you that everything went to plan. But, you know, the first thing when you become an entrepreneur, you realize that nothing goes to plan. And, uh, of course, in times to come, you also realize that planning is a bad idea because you'll have more disappointments than, 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 than good, the bad news kind of, you know, always overtakes the good news, right? And it's always greater point in the back. So, you know, so I don't think, we may, so, you know, to be honest, I don't think we had any great plan. At a young age, you know, I wasn't, there was no ecosystem for entrepreneurship as it exists today. Right, way back in 98, when, when I left the Oberoi, there was no, there was no ecosystem, right, to, of funding, startups. You know, people would, you know, you'd meet an aunt who'll ask you, beta, why did you leave a nice job to start your own? You know, you know, you kind of go through all that heartache. And uh, I don't think it was appreciated either that, but, but you know what? I think inside every executive, uh, there is always that need and that desire to try and do something of their own. But most, more often than not, it kind of never translates to real action because of either the limitations that you have or the commitments that you have or the risks that you don't, you believe you're taking, you don't wish to take and uh, or the, just the cuts of spec, just going out and you know, doing everything of your own. So I think there are a couple of things. Number one is because I worked at the corporate office, I, I towards the last few years of my, at the Oberoi corporate office, towards the last few years of my tenure with the Oberoi, I got accustomed to not being in the hotel environment. If I was in the hotel environment, I'd probably never, never left the Oberoi. Because the environment's overwhelms. You know what I mean? You know, because you know, you're, 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 you're a senior executive in the hotel. I was thinking, like, for example, at a young age, I was staying at the Oberoi Grand in the hotel. I had a very nice office. I had, you know, like, you know, you'd visit us. You know, you get, it just overwhelms you, right? You're taking flights up and down all over the place. But you thought you were, you, you think you were right in life at 25. You know, and you know, it, it overwhelms you. That environment just kind of, you know, it, it, it becomes, in some respects, it's, uh, it becomes a baggage for you to take more decisions to move on. 
And there are very, very few people from who leave hotel companies to become entrepreneurs if you look at historical data. So, you know, so so you know, so because of the corporate office, you know, you 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 you're used to working in a corporate environment where you were dealing with a hotel in Bombay, hotel in Chennai, hotel here, hotel in, in, in Indonesia. You were dealing, you got used to dealing with things in a remote kind of basis. You got used to so you got used to a corporate setup. And I think that was that supported idea. Also, I think you met more interesting people. You meet, meet more interesting people who have more interesting and strategic conversations in corporate environments than at a tactical hotel level. And so I think with McKinsey and everybody else, we thought we'd kind of you know, start our own business. There were a couple of us who got off together. We thought we'd become a consultancy. I can tell you, nobody wants to pay you any. In India, most people are happy to, to have a drink with you and take advice and, uh, and not pay for consulting fee. Uh, uh, we had many drinks, we gave many, much advice, but we never made any money. <laughs> so, you know, and so we, and we quickly also realized, I think, as a consultant and nothing against consultants, but uh, that if you wanted to play golf and make money, it wouldn't happen when you're selling your time. Right? So what happens is that if you do consulting, well, you say, okay, fine, my time is important. I'm, I'm, good, at, I'm good at ABC and I'll sell my time and I'll charge you X amount of money per hour, per day, whatever. But that's not scalable. So you can't, you can't become like graduation scale of a business because, you know, because to set up a scalable business, you've got to set up a business. And consulting is not really a business. It is actually, a, it's actually selling your time. You know, so, it's, so you have more independence than working for somebody. And you probably, but you know, you're selling your time or you have a bunch of folks you're selling time for and you sort of scale it up. But uh, so we, so, you know, so we actually started off with the consulting. We did some interesting consulting projects. We worked with some airlines, worked with some hotel companies, worked with some business plans, um, uh, worked with Tata's for something. There are all kinds of interesting projects. But we weren't becoming rich and we were, you know, we were either struggling to get a project or we were struggling to complete a project. Because every time you would want to hire talent, you would want, you had no forecast of a two, three, four, five year plan. But you don't know what your consulting books are going to look like because those assignments were small and, you know. So we, you know, so we kind of uh, started doing what I call dining programs. And that was because a friend of mine used to run, this, an Aussie guy used to run that for Oprah Hotels. And he came and met up with us in Delhi. And he said, why don't you run this? Uh, uh, why don't we do a JV with you? And we kind of set up, and we had the law opportunity in India. So we agreed to the JV, we almost signed the agreement. And, uh, and uh, unfortunately or fortunately, fortunately in hindsight, unfortunately at that particular point in time, uh, he sold the company. In the time when we were transitioning, we were setting up the JV. And he sold the company and he called me, he's based in Sydney and said, you know what, I'm selling the company but the new owners are interesting folks and you might want to do business with them. And I met with them and I said, I don't want to do business with these guys. So what we, but what we did was, because that, that idea was cast, a plan was made, we said we'll execute it ourselves without a JV. And so we went ahead and did it without a JV. We of course needed to kind of work a little harder. We wouldn't get the homegrown technology we would have got. So we had to build it from scratch. We, we didn't get the, you know, we didn't get all the processes that we had to start from scratch a little bit. But in hindsight, that, is, that worked well. You know, at least we run the business and we kind of sort of own it. And that's how the programs, we started running dining programs. In business, it's opportunity-led. Opportunities come your way. You grab them if you think they make sense. And we saw the opportunity in this space and we stayed on it. So, uh, Sudhir, just for a lay uh, listener like me, dining programs, can you elaborate? Can you explain? Can you okay. give us the economics? Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, sorry. So, you know, so I should have that. So, lorry programs in... So lorry programs uh, started with the airline business, right? So, you know, so the airlines are the first ones who set lorry programs, Pan American Airlines, started giving miles way back in the 70s. Uh, they gave so many miles away that the airline went bust. Okay, so, uh, so, so lorry programs are serious business. 
Okay, get millions and billion dollars involved in loyalty points and all that stuff. So it's a fierce business. Airlines, you know, move to hotels. Hotel companies set up programs because, and I think the logic clearly is that uh, if I'm traveling on, on, on behalf of TLC, which happens to be our company, uh, the company would pay my airline ticket and would pay for my hotel room at, for a stay at the Oberoi. And I would, uh, I would get some points or miles which I could use for the personal benefit, right? So, it, and that's the simple concept of why my, uh, these programs work. To put it more simply, uh, they also work well when the opportunity cost of a large benefit is very little. To explain that as an example, the cost of an airline seat which is going empty is very little if you're paying the taxes. But the benefit is perceived for a ticket to London is very, very high. So you can actually give large benefits to people to fly with you as long as you never manage your points into, into, into valleys and into empty seats or into empty hotel rooms on the other side. You know, empty hotel rooms because, you know, so what happens is that, uh, so you have two, three kind of, you know, parameters that you need, hotels and airlines fit into all of them. So they create success, they create successful loyalty programs and then they kind of, you know, got together, became more complex. And I'll, I'll leave that aside for, the, for this. So, the loyalty, so, you know, so what happens is, but there are different audiences who need different things, right? So there's an audience like yourselves who may travel. And you might travel, you know, and if you travel within India, you might say, I want to stay at the Taj Hotel, or I might like to stay at the Oprah Hotel, or listen, you know what, I split between IDC and the Taj, you know. So you pick up a program if you stay often enough and you say, okay, I'll get some points, I'll get an upgrade. If I stay often enough, they treat me well, they'll recognize me uh, for, for the business that I give them. They give me club lounge and so on and so forth. And so you become part of a program and from a hotel's point of view, they start tracking your spends, they can communicate with you, they can, you know, they can engage with you and they can try and make you loyal. And eventually, while the loyalty may start with the loyalty to points, the hotel tend to become a habit, right? So you say, yeah, you know, now I'm, you know, you started in the beginning for points, but eventually a Marriott or a Taj or an Oprah became a habit, and you started staying there. And that's how you build the loyalty to the brand and so on and so forth. It's like it's, it's, it takes time to mature, but you know, and that's how the customer journey sort of begins, and then they become a habit, and the loyalty program takes a backseat. They want to stay in the hotel. The loyalty programs, by the way, and you stay so often that you get the higher tiers. So you get, you get locked in because you get upgrades every time you go, you get access to pools, you get early check-in, late check-out if you travel overseas. It's a huge advantage if your flight lands at eight o'clock in the morning in London. You don't want to wait till three o'clock in the afternoon for a room. So those kind of things kind of help you. So you say, oh, well, you know, I'm a married Bond Boy member. Let me just go stay in a bad hotel and give you an early check-in. So that kind of stuff, you know, also helps you. And so that's how loyalty programs work. That's one kind of loyalty programs. You also have folks who are in the city of Bombay or in the city of Delhi, where I'm based, Bombay, where, where you're based. You're based in Bombay, right? Yeah. You know, so, you know, so, and, uh, you know, you, 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 you go to, you know, you go to the next, you go to the hotel for a meal, you go to the hotel for a spa, you go to the hotel for a haircut, you go to the hotel for a banquet, you, you know, and now people also, they don't, don't, don't great clubs, people go weekends, sometimes stay in hotels, and what happens is, that's not really a travel program. That's, you know, you're looking for benefits on dining, you're looking for benefits on a little celebration that you want to, want to have, a little spa treatment that you want to take, or a vacation you want to take, and those don't, are not covered by those global loyalty programs. So they're what, what, what people, image, you know, as I said, dining programs, that's the old word, but those are local market programs that exist. Almost every company has them. So you could pick up a membership for say $200 or an equal to that 15,000 rupees, give or take, depending on what level you buy, which brand and so on. And you could get some benefits on discounts on dining, some, some preferred services, some preferred rooms, etc. And what happens is that's how hotels capture the local market. In cut, cut to today in pandemic, these, these local customers like yourselves, are not, we are not traveling into London. We are traveling into the hotel next door for a meal. And so local programs, local market uh, programs can attend to 
add value over there. And so, so that's, so we actually specialize in local market programs. They, they've evolved over the years. And of course we do some points based as well, but broadly we do lo local market programs, hotels. We actually work with every hotel company in the country except for broad hotels. Wow. So th th that's, that's, that's very, very interesting. And I, I, forgive me if I ask a further little more technical question. Uh, these local market programs, you seem to have built a sense of expertise around it and uh, some amount of IP that uh, helps you manage it. May I ask and forgive my ignorance, why is it so difficult and why would I need as a hotel to outsource it as opposed to trying running it myself? So why, why would I want to go with TLC and what is the kind of intelligence that you would have built over the years? So, you know, uh, I think, uh, so why, why can a hotel company not run it themselves? The simple answer is they can. So if you were to, if you were to turn around and say, why would a Taj or, or an IDC or a Marriott hire folks like us and not uh, do it themselves? Uh, I think it's the, it's the, it's a, it's a business decision of saying what's core to my business and what is it that I can outsource? You know, I don't think that uh, there's any IP that a brand, that a, that a Tata Group company cannot recreate or a Marriott or a global Fortune 500 company cannot recreate. There's nothing, of course, there is some expertise that you build, some technology that you build, some, some human talent and sector that you build. You have some, you know, you have, you have local market knowledge that you, that you get deep in because of experiences and because of, because of process. But you know, all of that is, is, I don't believe for a moment that we are in a space where a hotel company cannot go and run it. A small hotel, independent hotel, maybe not, but a large brands for sure they can. But I don't think that's their business. I don't think that's their business. I think their business is to run hotels. Their business is not to and to, and to a good job to do a good job of that. Their business is not to run contact centers, tech companies, IT IT enabled businesses. Okay, so it's like asking a question: Why would a can a, can a Taj hotels not? Why would a hire an advertising agency? Can't they do advertising themselves? The answer is, of course, they can if they want to, but that's not their core business. And I think I, I think that's the simple answer. So I think I don't think there's any. Of course, they, you know, we all very happily say that we got great IP and all that. And of course, we do, but it's not something that cannot be replicated by a large large hotel company. I think they all have the depths of knowledge and uh, intelligence to recreate what we've got. It's just that they don't want to do it. It's not their business. It's not their worth their time. So Sudhir, one question: As you are building this out. You know, uh, in the hospitality industry, you've sort of stuck primarily to hospitality. Was there a temptation to expand to other verticals? Because loyalty is there. And now, of course, many companies, many industries are doing loyalty, recognizing the value of loyalty. It started, of course, with airlines and hotels, like you said. Now it's expanding. People are seeing how loyalty programs, how loyal customers can really deliver much greater revenues and, and profits. And yet you've sort of stuck steadfast to the hospitality, hospitality industry. Why? Lack of ambition. <laughs> as simple as that. So it's clear lack of ambition of doing anything. You enjoyed working with hotels. You understood the domain. You were in, a, you were in, a, you were in your comfort zone. Uh, you, you know, and uh, I think you were, just not, you were just not ambitious enough. And that's the honest truth. And yeah, of course, they, you know, loyalty to take a minute on that. Toss spreads across retail, telecom, uh, you know, grocery stores, Amazon, everybody has it. Uh, we started prepaid programs 20 years ago. 
uh, the new buzzword is PVI programs 20 years later today. But they, you know, I just saw that an article from McKinsey last week, I think, on uh, how prepaid loyalty programs and subscription programs are going to change the uh, they've done a research on how those customers use you far more than the free program guys. And they're full, you know, they, so there's a, there's a shift happening within loyalty as well towards prepaid programs. So in that respect, I think we are happily placed because we are prepaid programs. But the reality is that it, you know, it's just that we didn't uh, we didn't bother. I, you know, if we had bothered, we probably would have been running some programs for retail or we just didn't bother and it's not that we didn't get the calls in the beginning because, you know, we were out there 20 years ago and we, uh, one of the few companies out there trying to run their own businesses on lorry programs. So we didn't get the calls. Maybe enough guys who would say, oh, who does the Tash program? Can I call those guys to run my program for me? You know what I mean? Or who runs the IBC program? Or the, you know? And, you know, so that kind of stuff would always happen. And uh, so we've never had a sales team, for example. So we, we, we've never really gone up. You know, so, you know, so we never had anybody who's, who goes in sources business. We've just, you know, in the, in the hotel industry, you don't need to, everybody sort of, it's a small industry, we all know each other. And uh, so somebody wants to look for a program, they'll probably figure us out. And if they can't figure us out, they just need to go and tap a couple of words the, on Google to figure us, find us. And uh, outside the hotels, we don't even look, so we don't even have a, so we've never made a, so we've never been, we've never had a sales guy making a pitch for a non-hotel kind of customer. I, I'm almost certain that if we were to have taken that view 20 years ago or 10, 15 years ago, we would definitely have had a couple of non-hotel customers. Uh, we've of course expanded within hotels to do other things. Like for example, we, do, we work at a timeshare, very large timeshare company, global timeshare company, because of in India, we do some high-end club memberships and all that. But we broadly stated the membership programs. And uh, it's a combination of sales, back-end, uh, front-end, technology, uh, marketing, design. Uh, it's, a, it's a bunch of, a whole bunch of stuff that we do. So we, and we are end-to-end, -end, right? So, you know, so we, we give you a tech solution, we give you a design. There's no tech without design, nowadays, you know that than anybody else. Uh, so we have a design team. We have, you know, we you know we work with platforms. We have great platforms that we work with uh, on technology. We have uh, we have product center ability, world class product centers. We have the ability to, ability to do back end fulfillment. Uh, we do partnerships. So we do all kinds of stuff, right? Which is which is required. So we're not like a. Uh, so I, I shouldn't kind of take any industry as such, but you know, we are not like a. We are not like a single sort of you know guy who comes in the middle and doesn't give doesn't give you a one hundred percent solution. So if you, if you go, we kind of say we do end-to-end -end everything that you want and we run it for you. So I think that that also helps to kind of, you know. So in, and uh, in hindsight, uh, Radish, you know, uh, unfortunately, I'm not as rich as you because I didn't, because I wasn't smart enough. <laughs> Otherwise, I, I, I think I think all of us pick our, pick our niches to work in. It's a question I think we all face as entrepreneurs. I mean, uh, even in Netcore, when I look at our own business, many people ask us, why haven't you done this? Why haven't you done that? And you're absolutely right, I think, in the, in the mindset that uh, there is an area we are comfortable in. Uh, we, we focus on that. Look at maybe a little bit of adjacencies, yeah. but there's so much more to be done in these areas. You become better and better uh, as we go along. So, you know, so I like what uh, you know, I read, and I don't know whether it's quoted correctly from Mr. Mukesh Ambani. But you know, somebody said, you know, India life is so tough, and I, you know, I can't go to sleep. And so, so he, I believe he responded and said, I can't go to sleep. I tell you why, because there are so many opportunities in India. I don't know which one to pick and which one to leave. <laughs> so I don't know whether it's actually quoted from him or not. But whoever quoted that is actually said it very well. So when you, as an entrepreneur, you you have so many opportunities knocking on your door, and you know you have to take a conscious decision of saying how much do you want to stretch with the bandwidth of management that you have. And, uh, and coming from the overall, I had this focus on quality. So I was, I did want to make sure that 
whatever we did, we didn't compromise the current customers that we had. And that's the reason we probably work uh, 20, 18, 19, almost 20 years with Marriott, almost 20 years with Taj, almost, we work 20 years with Lila. You know, we, you know, people, you know, people get bored of you, right? So you got to, you got to, you got to, you got to kind of, you know, come with something new every, every, every couple of years, you got to do something different. And we continue to hang in there because, because, because we, because, because we genuinely make sure that our current customers are looked after. So we probably don't add a customer a year. So the one thing, uh, you know, the hospitality industry is probably one of the toughest industries from a, from, because from a customer who walks in is perhaps one of the most demanding. I mean, if there, even if there is something wrong here, there, you tend to notice it much more than you would in probably other industries. So uh, what are some unique aspects about the hospitality industry, you know, which you have seen over the last, you know, you've been there now 30 plus years. What so makes this industry stand? I'll take, a, I'll take a contrary view to that. Okay. I'll take a contrary view to that. And my view on that is that uh, I don't think the customers in hotels are demanding. Okay. I think we have to, we have to understand a little bit about, you know, so what happens is an Indian customer goes and lands up in a hotel in, in somewhere in Europe. Uh, you and I land up. You know, we, we are seen as a, as a difficult kind of customers to deal with. We got the Indian difficult customers to deal with. You know, and an American lands up in a European hotel, they say, well, you know, it's probably not that demanding. But let's understand, if you, if you dig that a little deeper, the problem is that Indian society is based on when you're born young, we had maids at home. We have a servant at home. We are, we are, a, you know, we are a society which is not into self-help if you're middle class and above. So what happens is we are so used to somebody making a tea for us, cup of tea for us and getting it to us as a private butler in two to three minutes and four minutes. And at the, at the end of five minutes, we start getting edgy as to why has my tea not arrived, right? Because that's the way we've grown up. And an American who's making his own tea is more than grateful that somebody else is making it for him in the first place, right, in a hotel. So he doesn't care about the five minutes, right? He's, he's just happy that somebody else is making it for him and doesn't want to make it for himself. And so I think what happens is when as hoteliers, when we deal with different kinds of people, and if we understand a little bit about their backgrounds and how their bringing is, I think you can handle them a little better. For example, going back to my old company, Oprah Hotels, we set up what is called butler service. You know, they were pioneers setting up what is called butler service. They said, you know, a butler service is nothing like a personal butler. You know, you, of course, not many companies have it. You kind of press a button and somebody will say, my name is Sudhir, and some of your personal button and help you whatever you want. You know, that was based on the fact that that's what the Indian was used to. You wouldn't do it in an American hotel company, right? Because you know the Americans are used to that personal button. So I think if you understand understand that, and you tackle that, it's very easy to sort of sort of you know deal with deal with customers or customers from hotel, hotels can deal with customers. I think on the on the flip side, customers are wonderful in hotels. They enjoy coming to hotels, so they're in a good frame of mind. They like to crack jokes. They treat, because they come, uh, they treat you as equals. Uh, they, they make wonderful conversations. Some of the best conversations I've had with our, with our guests across the place. You, you develop as a young age social, social skills to deal with senior people if you're, in, you know, if you're in a hotel. And I think it's that ability to handle that. If you, if you get arrogant because you're sitting in a hotel lobby and you think you, start, you, know, you get a little arrogant, then that's, that's I think, more, the, more at an executive level that I can't handle this customer. But I think if you treat them as humans, equals, and you deal with them, I think it's, it's, it's a very, very easy industry because you're dealing with reasonable people. 
You need to treat your people. So I think it's a, I, so, so I have a confident view on this. I, th I think the customers and hotels are actually very good people. And I think they get upset because as hoteliers, you manage to upset them. <laughs> and you know, and if you're going to charge somebody $300 a night or $400 a night, you better make sure that you can deliver that kind of value. And I think that, and, and rightfully so, right? You know, if I'm paying $400 a night to stay in a hotel and I can't get my cup of tea for 45 minutes, then I have a right to be upset. Or I, or I should go and stay in a hotel which costs $50 a night. You know, then I wouldn't expect a cup of tea. I make it myself. So I think, I think that's, so that's my view on customers and hotels. I think, you know, my experience with customers has been, and both at the Oberoi and outside, has been that they're absolutely wonderful, wonderful experience to uh, shake hands with customers. They come in a happy frame of mind in a hotel lobby. It's, uh, they're well read. You meet some different kinds of people from different parts of the world, different industries. It's, uh, it's some of the finest uh, conversation experiences that you can have. If you were to do the same thing, in a hotel lobby, you would you'll you'll make a wonderful one-hour session because you'll come across such interesting people. We should do we, we should do the hippo brain at the lobby, no? no? Hotel lobby, yeah. I'm telling you, you you come across some really interesting people. I know people sitting in the evening, you come after a hard day's work, uh, catching a drink alone in the bar. You kind of kind of find all kinds of interesting folks. I would I would agree to you and spoken like a true hotelier. And a loyalty program. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I think we are best, you know, in many ways. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting trade. Uh, it's uh, tourism and travel is obviously very large now, and it's, it's uh, you know, uh, people have traveled, you know, in the, for thousands of years. These are southern shalas, and you know, they, you know, so travel is obviously there. It's obviously more organized now. Tourism continues to grow. People will travel. They learn the experience, the travel business and work. And I think folks who work in hotels uh, get to meet very, very interesting people. And uh, I think that's one of the biggest perks of the job. I would agree with you. As an, and, and, and as the host of Hippobrain, I can tell you, after meeting a lot of the Hippobrains, I think my brains are slowly getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> so I don't know about the Hippobrain bit. This is the fun bit. You know, in hotels, you make fun conversations, but you know what happens is when you meet different kinds of people, and that's to your, that's to your, uh, to your, uh, to, the, uh, to, to the show that you do with Hippo Brain. You know, to, to, your, to, your, to your point, I think, you know, what happens is, they, I think a lot of it is not about writing a very complicated book or something. I think it's about, it's about the experiences that people, people learn, that they share. And I think hotels become a, a, a really a wonderful place to meet interesting people and you know and then they're sitting in a holiday you know sitting at you know hotel I think in the evening and you have a drink with somebody you know uh, uh, you know uh, you can you could meet really interesting people so i'll tell you when i was a sales and marketing guy at the, at the character 25 years old and i wanted to meet some of my customers i would just walk into the bar and i used to stay in the hotel and i would i would find like eight or ten tables i'll say why don't you just i go and take corner table and say why don't you give everybody the next drink okay and suddenly you got to attend because because what happens is that everybody come and thank you, right? And so you, know, so you say, well, the drinks and the guy sitting on the corner, and he says, says the marketing guy about it now. Oh, really? Okay, so somebody come and, come and thank you, and somebody come and sit on your table. And that's how, that's how you get to know people, right? And the, drink, and, the drink, and the free drink was worth it, right? Because you met so many people, and somebody had a good experience, somebody had a bad experience. And that's how, you know, so there's so many ways you can get to sort of interact with folks. The very concept of happy hours in hotels, to your point of hotels, is actually, an, is actually a concept that was created based on the fact that that business travelers traveling alone and they don't know what to do in the evenings. So they can get a free drink at the bar and just like I'm working and traveling on work and so, so is Ravish and Jem with you and you'll be happy to hit the bar alone, sit on the stool and get chatting. And the community that you meet, the people that you meet and conversations that you can make with each other 
are, are, are absolutely wonderful. Uh, you know, I have a friend of mine, the same guy who kind of, you know, who I was going to set up a business with, and you know, uh, with, uh, when we signed TLC and he sold the business off, you know, he, his wife, he met during happy hours in a hotel, in a hotel. So he, he, you know, so he was having a drink alone in Singapore somewhere. And this lady came and sat next to him. She's from where? From the US. And they got chatting. And they became friends and they got married. So, you know, so, so you know, so, you know, so that's how, you know, you kind of get people together. This is very interesting. And uh, what I find very interesting is, of course, what you're saying is, uh, it's, it is a happy place and you have happy experiences. But you've been running this business for 20 odd years and you've had Taj for 20 years and Leela's for 20 years and married for 20 years and God knows what not. Two questions, I, rather than actually one question, in, but two sides to it is that, how has this business evolved over 20 years? And how do you keep pushing year on year uh, to be to continue to stay relevant? So in, in whichever order that you want you to answer. So I've got a, actually, I've got no order, I've only got one answer. And that is that, you know, if you have a view, that every day I'm going to try and do something new. To add, a, you know, so people say, you know, have you, you, you know, when did you get that Eureka idea? There's no Eureka idea, in my view. I haven't had one. Maybe some people get one. Um, you know, it's basically you just keep, you just say every time I'm going to do something. I'm going to see can I do it one percent better? Can I write this letter a little bit better? Can I write this? Uh, can I write this? Can I do this little box a little bit better? Can I scar a little bit better? Can I do the color better? Can I do the font better? Can I do the call better? Can I do the skin better? Whatever it is, if you keep saying that every day I'm going to try and improve. You know, in 20 years later, you'll be a better company. Or every, every year, you'll be a better company. So what we did was, so, so I've got this very sort of finicky thing about saying that we must try and do some, you know, something better every day. So if somebody gets anything on my table, you can be almost, you can almost be certain that it's going to get stuck. Do I say, no, 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 leave it with me. I'm going to work on this. Because I want to make it better. And it's not that it's bad. But everything can become better. And I think that, 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 I think that, that, that thing that, you know, I want to improve every day and I wanted to improve everything that I do to make it better. It doesn't matter whether it, whether it reflects on TLC or reflects on one of our customers or reflects on none of us, but just something that you do in general. But that, I think that, that that passion to do something better, I, th I think just I think is just what keeps the business alive. You would then just change everything. You would kind of read more. You would learn more because you're trying to improve. You'll figure out what somebody else is doing. You'll benchmark more. You'll pick up practices, you'll pick up, you know, because you have that passion to become better. I want to hold you there. I want to uh, pick you uh, there. Can you give us an example of something you've done or something that you're particularly proud of? This is what I did. And this is probably a good example to show that how you kept pushing the bar 1% at a time. So I have no example. Because I tell you, I'll give you the answer why. Because this is not a, this is, this is a, this is not a one, one, one item agenda. This is a million item agenda. From the way you sign on a letter that's going out, to the way the envelope is folded, to in the earlier years, to how you do campaigns. You know, it, 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 is, it is a small, 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 small things that collect together to, to make a big difference. Like, you know, so in hotel, taking an example, another hotel company we don't work with, which is Peninsula Hotels. They say the details make a peninsula. And I like that tagline because it's because you know the details of everything, improving everything little by little every time. So there's no big idea, there's no big thing that we've done, nothing. It's the small, small things that we do better and better and better every day. Of course, I can give you a 
or full talk on the technology stacks that we have. And Radesh will beat me up and tell me that you know we don't use that core. And you know, and I can tell you the, the you know how we use great technology, how we have some fantastic journeys, customer journeys, all automated. But that's not that's all okay. The real thing is, are you trying to become better every day in everything that you do? So what happens is, and you know what happens is when you become better, and what happens is it goes down the line. Somebody's going to say, well, I better if I'm taking you to Sudhir, I better look at it and see. And you know, then you get into a discussion and say the guy is so finicky, and you know. But the reality is it becomes a cultural thing, right? And I think that drives the company to do better. And we stayed with one industry, small customers, 20 years. I think because of simple focus of saying, can we do better? Can we do everything better? That's it. I have no single example. Because there's no one thing that I can I can point. It's everything we do. Is the cup of tea that you that's that's presented to a customer. He can we do a better cup? You know, or somebody would say, you know, the tea that the guy gave was not to the right height. You know, I might be a simple example. We say, you know, we are TLC, we are a good company. Why are we presenting tea like this when somebody comes to meet us? Why can we do a better job of this? And somebody say, yeah, yeah, let's do a better Somebody take charge of this and let me do a better job. So you know what happens? It just becomes a cultural thing, right? You know, and then you just kind of just kind of get on with it. And I think if you do something better every day, I promise you, you'll become a much better company. Radish from Netcore can tell you that. You are absolutely right, uh, Sudhir. I think um, many companies, we all search, many companies search for this big, new, big, flashy, new thing. And I think you're, you've put it beautifully. I think it's a, it's a great philosophy to have. And I was telling someone the other day, uh, I mean, other day now seems a long time ago, of course, in a meeting, that if you do 1% better every day, correct, you are 37 times better in a year. I mean, the power of compounding, I think is so, so amazing. That's correct. And, and I think that's what uh, allows you to stay in, you know, so we are not in, you know, we are not in the, uh, you know, uh, uh, Radish, at TLC, we never set it up for an evaluation. There was nothing called evaluation 20 years ago, right? And we, we didn't even know how you spell the, spell the word. And we didn't know how, you know, how many zeros come into valuations, right? We set up a business to set up a nice business as a middle-class family, works hard, do a good quality job and make a make a fair living, right? And that was that was basically the definition of business, right? And uh, and that definition continues to today. And the reality is that uh, uh, and that definition of trying to do a hard job, you know, being paranoid about doing a good good job, and you well put one percent better every day, and the power of compounding kicks in, and you become better and better and better and better, and at the same job. And of course, if you're more strategic in terms of uh, if I had more strategic direction or if I had more strategic investors or somebody could have said, yeah, we can know, yeah, we can know. But we were happy doing that 1% better every day. And our passion and our energy took that, you know, was, was engaged in that particular focus. So there's one question for you here. I can understand this 1% better at your level. Today, you are probably about a thousand people. How do you push this down the line? How do you make it the DNA of a company? Yeah, both much you know, it's a it's a very good question. You you know it because you run businesses and you know you know it. It's very very hard. I think what happens is that uh, you keep trying. So you know so what happens is this turnover. You keep trying. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, so to say that twenty years later is everybody in my company doing one percent better every day. I would be completely. I wouldn't know what's going on in my company if I, if I said yes. Would, would our top 10, 10% people or 5% people or 3% people try and do that? Hopefully once in a while. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
because you know this is a passion thing right it's very hard to drill it down to somebody right but what you can do is you can create workflows and processes right and you understand workflows and processes better than i do because you are an expert at that what you create what you do is you start creating workflows and processes and when everything starts going back you know what happens is it sort of kind of so it doesn't become it may not become a passion but the workflow is such that there is a quality check that's take, being taken place there's a the improvement check that's been taking place so you create a structure that you try and also because your passion you also want to kind of you also try to you know because you're on a business you create structures right so you create a structure to say if you know so be, to me it's a passion but you know i can't imagine it to be a passion to some everybody else right so what you do is you create structures around saying how do we become better every day you do meetings and say how do we become about it what are three things three new things we did or three things that we made did better every month and you know and you you kind of do that and find kind of get going but uh, it's a, it's a, it's hard to make it a dna of the company that be great if you could but i think what happens is people see the value of it and they appreciate it because the customers appreciate it so i think there is a sense at least in our leadership team uh, uh, to say hey how can we do this better do we have all the answers uh, uh, you know uh, i can tell you uh, and it's only about delivering to the customers for example uh, You know, you know, a company our size has EBIS tax auditors and uh, KPMG tax consultants, giant accounting. You know, some some really fancy big names. And why? Because and, and if they ask you, if you go and ask any of them, you go to KPMG guys. They were my side for five years. I just told them over. They say, "Oh, so he's the most interesting entrepreneur we've met." Because he, every time he, we come and meet him, he tells us, "Arey, yah, bichhe ye batao ki me acha kya kar sakta." So you know, so you know, so what can I do differently and better? Yeah, mujhe batao. So you know, so he says. You know, so every you know, so you, you call the KPMG guy, and he says to so the standard question is, "Yeah, but you tell me, what can I do better? Yeah, some drama. Yeah, what can I do better? Yeah, some drama. Yeah, what can I do better? So the thing is, it's it's that it's that you know, so every time I'm you know, if I meet a tech guy, I'll ask him, "Yeah, like today itself, we're having a meeting on optimization. How do you make something faster and better on a particular on some APIs?" And my question was, "Yeah, four milliseconds, but you know, so it seems fine. But how do we get into two? Yeah, you know, two milliseconds. You know what I mean? To the response time." So the question is, why should I accept a four millisecond response time? Is that the benchmark? Can I make it three? And when you ask the question, can you make it three? They say yes, you can. You do these three things, and then you start looking for solutions, right? But at at some stage, you just say, yeah, this is fine. It's good benchmark. Why why do we make it two? But those two milliseconds and together make three seconds, right? Eventually, and so like today itself, we said, yeah, you know this. So there are some APIs, and these are all within these milliseconds. But this one is. <clears throat> so I said, let's go after every one of them. And cut out time everywhere, and let's go out after the. And you know, I think what happens is, and when you ask that question, then the, the tech guy says, "Ha, ho sakta hai. Hami, you know, sessions ko combine karna padega. So I call do ya. Let's do it. You know, and so I think that's the. I think that's the thing. You you keep asking the question. So you know, I learned something in ISO. <coughs> something interesting. So we were doing an ISO audit. Uh, this this is the ISO audit. We you know we get the two twenty seven zero one audit done. This is information security standard audit. So we agreed on the first time. I asked the auditor. So the auditor came and met me. He said he wants to be the CEO. I said, "Ajay." So he came to meet with me. I was just asking the auditor about it. So I asked him a standard question. He said, "Mujhe batao ki main kya seek sakta hu ISO twenty seven zero one audit." ठीक है ना? So he said, "Sir." You, every time you ask something, ask the question why four times if you want to get to the root of the answer. So why did something go wrong? So he said, okay, because I, the guy didn't come to work. Okay, 
So why, why did the guy not come to work? Well, because God had a flat back. You, you, you know what he says? You know what happens is when you ask the question the fourth time, why? Only then would you get the root of the problem. He says, and he says most people drop it after the first or second why's. You know, he says, if you want to get to the root of a problem, ask the question why four times on top of each other. And I, I said, yeah, this is interesting. Try it. So we have all the root cause analysis. Four why's. One, two, three, four. <laughs> you know, that fourth why is the answer. So, you know, so that, that, now those things make you better, right? Don't they, uh, Radesh and Jainal, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a great way to frame it. I think this is very, very practical uh, advice. Jamit? Yeah, uh, I think yeah, it, it is an interesting... So when, you, when you're trying to search for some deep, big, huge, hidden meaning and a hippo brain comes and says, Ek second, it's not a bit complicated. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. But I have to ask the hippo brain. I have to ask my job. So I'll give you an example. Uh, Sandeep, uh, one of the analytics and DM uh, superstars came on Hippobrain and he taught us a very basic thing. He said, L-O-C-T-R, DM. He said, what is this? List, offer, creative, time and response. He said, what you have to do, you list or offer list. Go to the list, find out to whom you are talking and get that damn list. Then you can get the offer, then the creative, how is it to respond and what it is has to when you have to send it. Now, this we taught and it taught me a lot. Now, I'm going to hold you a little because I don't often get to be in front of the doyen of the loyalty industry. If I were to go back and say, I have a loyalty program. Karni hai. Okay, whatever. Or whoever wants to run his own loyalty program. What are those two, three principles that you hold tight, hold true, which you've seen last the test of time? while designing loyalty programs, while running loyalty programs, while keeping loyalty programs alive for 20 years. So I'll tell you, let me first, can I, can I take a, can I, can I, will you humor me for a minute? And let me tell you how I look at a direct email campaign. Okay. So first the objective defined. Because your communication is based on the objective, the business, right? Then once you define the objective, then you write a then you write what I call a brief. Okay, you write a brief and you give it to somebody in content. Then the creative guy will get, guy will get involved. They will put together uh, a design that you say follows must follow style guides and brand standards. So another guy gets involved with standards and brand standards and all. This is one email. Okay, then you know so you know so and you know this is all hard work, no hippo brain story. But you, if you don't follow the process. It's a process story. Then you get that done. Then you say, okay, now it's done. Now I'm going to get, do a design. I'm going to send it on, get an HTML done. HTML has a 50-point checklist of how a good HTML is made, CSS written, so on and so forth, right? So that, you know, it can be responsive to different screens, different sizes, different mobiles, different yay, go to that. Then you, go, then you go and get that email coded and use a tool like Netcore and I'll, you know, and go to, go to Radish company and, you know, you, you, you put it to Netcore. You may have a workflow to get that email approved. Right? So you might have an automated workflow to say, I'm going to send it to Jemmet, who's going to approve the email, etc. So another guy comes into play, who says, It's a plea, you know, and then you say, you know, then you go and get that done. Then you get testing done. Then you have a full parallel run on databases, right? What data cuts you want to send it to, what analysis is coming in, etc., etc. That's the creative thing. Then you put it all together, you start testing business rules. Then you start doing targeting. 
do can I do different messaging, different, different, different everything else. Then you set it to test it. Is the email coming okay on all the devices before an email is sent out? Somebody, you know, you go to a customer and say, yeah, email bhejna bhejna. Right? Once an email has nine people involved, <laughs> 15 processes, and 20 checklists. You know, if you want to get a world-class email out. But but you know, but that quality will only come if you follow all these processes. Otherwise, and Radesh will explain this. Otherwise, it's not going to be world class. Is that right, Radesh? Absolutely right. Hmm. So you, a lot of hard work goes behind even putting on a small communication like that. So it's like, you know, I read the book many years ago, the Toyota way. And I think this is the TLC way. Even ek email, karna, there is a way to it. There is a process to it. And there is no shortcut. Shortcut is no problem. Shortcut is no problem. And there are checklists, hoti hai. release checklists, onboarding checklists, testing checklists, test cases, all checklists are checklists. Tick it later. So at least, you know, and that's, I, I think what happens is to the question on quality, you start kind of institutionalizing what you learn through checklists and documents and workflows and so on and so forth. So I think and that becomes your IP, so to say. Okay, going to your original question. Sorry, I took that minute off to explain to you how, what a tough job that we do, which has nothing to do with the hippo brain, <laughs> a lot of checklists and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, so if if you also have a loyalty program, here's the the first thing is here's the bad news for the tech folks. I run a tech company as well. Uh, tech should not drive your end user end product. Tech's an enabler, user is an enabler. Many many times what happens is tech says I'm yeni kasakte, I'm yeh kasakte, I'm yeh kasakte. Boss, I run my own tech company, sab jata hai. Ha? Agar aap kahoge mujhe karna hai, sab 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 ho jata hai tech mein. Agar aap bologe ki mujhe moon jana hai, to moon ke liye bhi koi nahi. Right, so tech, tech folks are smart. So, but don't allow tech to be a limiting factor. They are enabler. They must facilitate what you can do. Number one, never lose focus on the customer. Right, many times, you know, there are many stakeholders, right? So, if you look at a hotel, a typical hotel, you could have a management company, you could have an owner, you could have a hotel team, you'd have, you know, you'll have many, many stakeholders, right? And everybody has a, somebody who's looking at a financial PL, somebody's looking at something else. Let's keep an eye on the customer and let's define what you want to achieve. And I think if you keep it really simple, keep it, keep, make it, keep it customer focused, make sure there's value for the customer, make sure there's value for, for the hotel company, make sure there's, uh, there is, uh, there is uh, you're being fair and honest to all parties and, uh, you, and you promise less and deliver a bit more, I think you'll be fine. I think that's, it's as simple as that. And of course you can conceptually look and benchmark and say, but do I want to get this? What my hotel, what my, when is my hotel free? When can I, when, when, when does, when do covers add maximum value? So it's not rocket science to know that hotel rooms empty are in city hotels over the week, weekends. Uh, lunches are not that busy in hotels. Spas are not busy, but it's Friday. But we all know that, right? In city hotels. And exactly the reversal opposite on the weekends and resorts. So that, that's pretty much given. So you basically, so the construct is not that difficult, right? But the thing is, if you keep your focus right, you want to be fair to the customer. You want to give value to, have a reasonable, reasonable value proposition and, and don't overpromise, but over deliver. You're fine. Uh, some of some of the you know younger folks, kind of you know, sometimes you know in in a, in, a, in the hurry to to do to to do to, to do more or deliver more. Sometimes you are not a long haul player, and you tend to overpromise and stuff, which won't get you around for twenty years. I think Sudhir, it's been a it's been an amazing uh, journey over the past hour or so, I think the way you've sort of laid out uh, 
uh, I think multiple dimensions. One is when we look at, of course, the loyalty program and the hospitality industry. And I think for me, I think the one thing which I will take away is this whole idea of how do you become 1% better every day? I think oh. it's, uh, it's yeah. a very powerful idea. See, it's, it's something which, you know, you keep reading about, but I think what you've done is taken it one level further saying that ask the four whys and take things and make them into processes. I think you explained it beautifully. You probably did not link it with the 1% idea, but the whole art of sending, act of sending an email. Yeah, something as simple as that, right? I mean, you can you have hundreds of things like that, right? Yeah, and then you have, you have 25, 30 elements in this and each one can be made better as you go forward. Correct. And you, know, and you keep adding to those checklists, you keep adding to those processes, you keep automating the workflows through tools like yours. And then what happens is the workflows create the discipline. The, right. workflows, the tools also create the checks and balances. And, and you do a combination of tools, workflows and all to institutionalize what you want to do with checklists. Okay. And I think that's the only way you can deliver quality and superior quality time and time again. Absolutely. And you've borne it out through the past 20 years as an entrepreneur. I think oh, uh, I'm tired already. <laughs> <laughs> I know you, Sudhir, you're going to go back to work now and say, okay, what can I make 1% better next? <laughs> yeah, so I've got a problem. I've got 200 emails to reply to. So I'm going to go back and say, I can't leave office without replying to the last email today. <laughs> you know, so. Brilliant so, yeah. discipline. And, and, and you know, you also, I think, I think there's one more thing. Yes. To that. I think if you make a commitment, uh, you must always adhere to it, which basically means if I tell you that Rajesh, I'm going to call you tomorrow at four o'clock, I just, it just cannot happen in the last 20 years that I haven't called you. Okay. Uh, if I can't call you four o'clock, I will have somebody call you and say, Rajesh, I'm really, really sorry. Or somebody will call and say, Sudhi, you know, calling on behalf of Sudhi, really, really sorry. You can't make it at four o'clock, but you know, we're just freeing up your time. I think what happens is if I say I'll get back to you by tomorrow on this, and if you, there's just no way in hell that I wouldn't get back. And if I can't for whatever reason, that person would get enough heads up notice with a fresh time and a deadline. I think your ability and your credibility as a, as a company, as an individual, that if you make a commitment, you honor it. It's extremely critical. Beautifully put. And I think uh, both of us have been running companies for the past 20 years. I think... Uh, Companies which are uh, proficons, you know, in some ways profitable. Uh, Individual businesses kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. nice word. Mm. And uh, uh, it's, I think, what you've brought attention to is, I think many times we look at the big, fancy, new, new things. It's just the simple basics done right. You know, commitments right. not left unmet. Every email answered before you go right. to sleep. Okay. Okay. I think it's... it's, it's, it's you know, and like I say, strategy is done once in a year, once in two years. It's in business, it's all about implementation, right? Absolutely. And, you know, you can execute well, and I think you'll be fine. Beautifully put. Uh, that was a great conversation. Jamit, your learnings, take takeaways? Yeah, I think it was extremely interesting. And sometimes, every time, Rajesh, you are on one side, and we have a hippo brain on the other side. And I feel like one really tiny worm sitting and listening to these conversations. I think my so, job is just to... It must be Rajesh, you got the guy on that. So, you know, so you've got, you got a title called Hippo Brain. I think you should call it, you should change it to call it a working, hardworking brain or something. The guy will just keep working hard. <laughs> I know, I know. You should probably just call it something like that. You know, so the academics, I suppose, you know, you, you, need, you need academics to look at the big picture, you know, you know, research and, you know, and all that is very vital. But I think running on the ground businesses requires, requires, uh, requires, uh, 
I think a lot of successful businesses, I think, are run by people who, who basically just execute well. I would agree with you, Sudhir. And that's what we've uh, learned over a period of time from a lot of our hippo brains. When they're, when they're running SaaS business and they come and speak, how very clearly and how focused they are on running their businesses. Most of our hippo brains are super. I felt that they're very laser-like in their understanding. So they focus and they do it well. Some are able to articulate and make a grand vision out of it. Some are just coming and saying it's common sense and it's simple. It's one step after the other, one step after the other. And talking to you, no, it's been very interesting because I, I feel I'm, I'm, uh, I, you mishmashed three, four books, management books all together and removed each and every little, little bit and said, yeah, you made a story here. You're trying to get and search for some deep meaning. That is your problem. But this is my very little simple story. And that makes it successful. And honestly, nobody, none to argue with that. 20 years holding on to so many clients in a business and continuously moving 1% better every time. So the books that I can think of when I'm talking to you is probably the Toyota way where it tries to explain these processes. It's a dense book, but every time I read it and I've, I've gone to it two, three times and, it, and I'm not in manufacturing. I've been in finance all my life. It just believes in the power of process and incremental changes, empowerment to the person on the ground to keep thinking and keep thinking and keep thinking and make those incremental changes. And an outstandingly another book, which you, I don't know whether you've read, but you so beautifully talked about it, about the checklist. There's a beautiful book called The Checklist Manifesto. And he just says the same thing. Keep, keep a damn checklist. I mean, for everything, just keep a checklist. And I think uh, many years ago, when I first, uh, my first brush with uh, HTML email and what you're saying is right, I also put a checklist. What are the five things that make a good email? So well, I, you, I, have, I have a checklist, for example, for travel. For travel. I should get very stressed, you know, passport, <laughs> I made a checklist for travel. Yes, the stress is all gone, right? You just try to done, five minutes. But you know what, talking about, you know, you're not talking about strategy and you know, there's one more thing that comes to mind, which is, you know, we learned very early in life that, you know, complex things are going to be thrown at you. Right? Yes. And sometimes, you, you know, you struggle to figure out as to the complexity of it, right? So, and the only way to, 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 to solve it is to break it into smaller and simpler parts. So, I think if you keep it simple and break anything complex into simpler parts, say, okay, there's a complex story. Now, let me try and break the parts apart. And let me try and attach, attack one part at a time because it's looking, it's looking like a complex problem. You, you, can, you, can, you can solve it, right? But the moment you take a complex problem and try and find a complex solution to it, I think you're in deep trouble. <laughs> true, 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 true. Absolutely. And I was just, uh, while, while talking to you, I was just uh, Googling and trying to understand something. And I figured out there is something called the 1% rule. The 1% oh, yeah. rule states that over time, majority of the rewards in a given field will accumulate to people and teams and organization that maintain a 1% advantage over the alternatives. You don't need to be twice as good to get twice as better results, you just need to be 1% better. And you're taking 1% every day over everything that you do. My God, you're going to be extremely difficult to beat. <laughs> the problem is, you're in a, so, so, so that's true. We're extremely difficult to beat, but in a small niche industry, and we're happy sitting there and uh, doing, our, doing a hard day's work. And, uh, and you know, and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, talks like these also get me thinking, you know, because this is you know, just because of way of life, right? So uh, Radesh and Jaimit, it also gets me thinking of, you know, so, you know, so 
you know, so what, what is it? You know, like I said, I was, you know, you ask me whatever you feel like, it doesn't matter. Because I said, you know, uh, we, I have no great strategy to share. I have no great, uh, I think it's just, I, I think it's just, just a lot of hard work and you just stay with the, with the razor, razor fine focus and keep trying to do a better job and be honest with everybody around and you'll be fine. I, th I think, uh, like, like, uh, like I said, there's so much opportunity in India. That I think it's, uh, I think uh, whoever's listening to your to your show, I think go out there and try it. I think it's, 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 there's a lot of opportunity. You get a lot of satisfaction. Absolutely. And you just got to get one percent better. You've got at, to just have the passion. At what you do. At what you, you do. You do a so, good job of what you're doing. You do a bad job and that's not going to get you. Thanks a lot. And it's been absolutely beautiful talking to you today. A lot of wise lessons and a lot of the age and experience talking and that beautiful way in which you said hotels are beautiful, customers are beautiful. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, listeners. And one of the things that I always want to ask, we, we, we get a lot of comments on LinkedIn, on Instagram and various different places. But I want you guys who listen to these conversations Put that on the comment section in YouTube. Keep talking to us. We'll keep improving. Keep those ideas coming. Disagree with us. Find fault with us. Find, hopefully have a fight with our host on the comment section and we'll probably see if we can try and get him to answer back. No, no, Subscribe, find, share. If you find a fault in what we do, you're just a free consultant who's making us 2%. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, because you're finding faults in what you're doing and you're making us better. So I think that's fantastic. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for inviting me. I feel privileged and honored, and uh, and you know you're both very established folks, and uh, and uh, I hope uh, and you know I hope that uh, you found this useful. Unfortunately, I had nothing great strategic strategic to say. We are tactical folks. On that beautiful note, thanks a lot, and subscribe and listen to some of the other podcasts that we have. Share it with your friends. Be smart. Spread the smartness. Thank you.